0: The one thing that I can tell you for, without a shadow of doubt in my mind, the the most important thing for ranking in, in terms of SEO is backlinks. And that is always been the case. And for at least the next like year or so, I can't see that changing.
1: Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Matthew Barbie, who is the global head of acquisition over at HubSpot, which is an inbound marketing and sales platform. We've actually had uh, Mark Roberge on the show before. So this is the second HubSpotter. Matt, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Over in Boston right now, a lot of traveling recently. So nice to be in one place. Yeah, and by the way, for everyone, uh, you know, I'm not sure if the Growth Hackers the videos are going to be posted up, but Matt did an awesome presentation over at uh, Growth Hackers uh, conference, and he speaks at a ton over here. When I guess we'll talk a little bit uh, about speaking in a little, in well, a bit later. But uh, yeah, why don't you give us a little background on yourself, kind of you know who you are and what your story is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I just over two years
0: ago now. Uh, prior to that, I was I was based out of the UK. If you haven't already noticed in my accent, um, I was kind of like re- uh, heading up uh, marketing over at a, a big agency back in the UK. Got the call from HubSpot to come in and like head up growth and focus a bit more on growing our SEO at the time, and made the jump over to our Dublin office and stayed there for around about a year and a half, and then made the trip over to boston kind of october of last year so been here for about nine months now and primarily focused um, on user acquisition free users in particular uh primarily through to our sales products and uh, outside of that i've I've done a ton of work with uh, startups within the tech space i do some advisory level stuff Um, mentoring and lecturing and all of the usual stuff um, and have had kind of like pretty broad background into some Random different industries and uh, verticals in the past as well.
1: Awesome, great, and you guys run a ton of different marketing experiments over at HubSpot. I, I'm just wondering, mm. you know, what what kind of process is there like an experimentation process, and how does that carry over out into all the stuff that you guys do? Yeah, we've 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 been through so many different experimentation
0: frameworks, prioritization models, like right now one of my big focuses and for for the whole team really has been to rein in the amount of experimentation that we've been doing um, I think for for us we we split this out by channel and have a few big impact experimentations that that we're gonna run that are going to be focused more on solid have the more like low-hanging fruit stuff. What we tend to do is prioritize out on a bit of like a, a Frankenstein framework that that we've hacked together internally. That is, We, we used to use the, the Pi framework or the ICE framework um, the the guys at Growth Hackers I know use as well. And we've also been using some different models that Brian Balfour from over at Reforge have been using. But the primary things that we look at is the time to value of any experiment, the ability for that to be replicated and scaled, and the resources that are going to go into to actually executing that initial experiment and things in the future. And then on top of that, the, the potential reward if, if we're able to get that granular. Got it.
1: Okay. And so, so what's like an example of a, a big kind of successful campaign you guys have run recently? And any numbers you can share would be helpful because, you know, there's a lot of nerds in the audience. <laughs> yeah so um
0: we've been we've been doing a lot of super unsexy um experiments and like fixes we've we've started to really invest a hell of a lot more in our organic search and seo actually uh, so i have an seo team full of pretty talented people and because we're such a huge site to, to give anyone listening scope on the the size of the HubSpot site. We we publish anywhere kind of like between 250 and 350 blog posts uh, every single month uh, and we're a B2B business, right? Like that's more than uh, a lot of consumer publications will push out. And we we have a huge site. We have tons of different teams, tons of tech debt that's happened and accrued all over the place and there's there's things continually that we need to both fix and have opportunities to To build out on. And one of those was we had somewhere in the region of like 3000 different downloadable ebooks, templates and all of our like lead magnets basically that we would use to capture people and pull them into our email list. And we housed all of these in this marketing library that we built out, and the goal of the marketing library was to rank for a bunch of like big terms like think things like marketing ebooks like s e o ebooks like uh, all of the 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 big terms and drive a ton of traffic and we found like the marketing library, which was built out about three years ago, maybe maybe a little less um it it's been linked to by like uh, somewhere in the region of like 2,000 different websites, like has tons of backlinks, super authoritative. The problem is the way it was developed, Google wasn't crawling it properly and wasn't able to read a lot of the content on the page. In fact, the only thing it could read on the entire marketing library page was a single icon of a book. So it it wasn't really developed really well. So we, t- we tore that down, redeveloped it, um, just basically re-skinned it, reworked some of the architecture, thrown in some redirects and... Uh, Literally within, I would say, like two days, traffic doubled and has been growing pretty much exponentially to to that area of the site and to our individual landing pages. Right now, we're on course to add an additional 600K visitors um, in the year just from that single one fix, which took us grand total of a week to bring from like idea to development. So that was a great, that was a great win for us recently that we've just pushed out.
1: Well, and how did you, I mean, how did you find out that, you know, that was
0: the main issue? Yeah, so one of the big things we've been doing a lot of is log file analysis. Uh, When you have a site as big as ours, you really need to get a better understanding of really what the different bots that are crawling the site are actually doing, what they're seeing. Um, We've just literally signed on um, an agreement with botify which are like enterprise level seo platform uh so that we can take all of our mad calculations and analysis out of excel and into something a bit more robust um so that's that's helped more than anything we're investing in tools that enable us to kind of do the same things we could do without the tool but at like ten times quicker. So now we're moving to like, in particular in the SEO team, a model where we roll out a minimum of two major experiments every single week, and we have that continuously ramping up.
1: You know, what's interesting. Um, so I mean, you, you see like other companies out there. You know, it's it's got to be three experiments a week. But you know, sometimes you know it's trying to hit to the, get to the three. People are filling in things like last minute. And then, you know, the experiments don't get uh, the, the people don't follow through on the experiments either. So, you know, how do you hold people accountable to making sure that, A, you know, it, there are quality experiments and B, they're actually getting done? Right. Yeah, that's
0: that's a really good point, because there's other there's also the other element. Right. Everybody wants to do an experiment. And a lot of the time, the reason for wanting to do that experiment is not necessarily the reason that we would want to be promoting as a business. Nine times out of 10, like a lot of bad experiments have have been rolled out because people are just curious and they want to do something that they think is pretty fucking cool. But something being pretty fucking cool is not necessarily the best way to approach something that's going to add a ton of value. So, I mean, the key thing here is that <clears throat> there needs to be Every single experiment that we do on the acquisition team is focused around driving more free users into our product. And if it doesn't drive free users into the product, it's a failure. But I, I mean, like any company, 80% probably of our experiments fail, which is not necessarily a bad thing. The the thing that I found to help a lot more is being a lot more prudent with your expectations. So at the start, when people are really wanting to push this idea that they want to do, which has potential to to drive new new users into our products, there's a lot of optimism uh, to an extent over embellishment of what that individual um, experiment could achieve. And I think it's just like grounding those expectations and getting a bit more realistic with them and also having when when you think about an experiment it's very different from just like a one-off tactic right like an experiment should be replicable and if you want to do like a big experiment to prove out whether something truly works and you go to the whole extent of like spending weeks gathering all this data um, but it's not something that actually can be replicated is it even worth just going to that whole extent to build out this giant framework to do an experiment or should you just fucking do it? Right. There's that's the other piece as well. Um, There's a lot of like over scientification of some of the stuff that often happens when
1: realistically you could just hustle something together and see if it works or not. Makes sense. And you talked about earlier the, the ice model. So just can you elaborate on that a little bit? What does that mean? Yeah.
0: So we kind of use like a variation of the the ICE model, uh, which is the, the pie model, which basically for every single it's it's a very simple but effective uh, framework to use when it comes to just more than anything prioritization. So you're you're broken down into um, the potential of that individual product uh, project or experiment to bring it or work well against a goal that you have. The I is importance, which is like basically in a, a how important those, the things that are going to be affected by this experiment are to your overall current, say in our example, acquisition strategy. So the the pricing page is something that you generally don't want to mess around with too much. So it's got to have a pretty high potential to outweigh like the, the downside on the importance. And then the E is ease. How Easy or how quickly can you get this experiment from hypothesis to production and getting a result? And what are the resources slash costs involved with doing that? And you just get an aggregate score. You can rank this from five, ten, whatever you want to do. Um, get the mean score of those and then just stack them from high to low. And really, that's like your hit list. We we tend to use that model still to an extent um, on more simple questions to answer because potential of a project, right, is a very vague thing. And the, it doesn't necessarily take into account indirect benefits of doing certain things. So when we have to go a bit more granular, maybe we'll break down an experiment
1: into a number of different parts and then stack rank those parts as well. Great. So going back to the the three hundred fifty or 250 or 350 blog posts a month, it, it kind of varies. I would say the average is around about three hundred. Okay, so three hundred, and so with three hundred blog posts a month, I mean, roughly, how much traffic are you guys getting uh, right now every month? I can't give out exact numbers, but like
0: we're we're into the millions, right, of of visitors to the site. I would I would argue that there would be very very few SaaS businesses out there that if any, that generate as much traffic to to their website as we do.
1: Got it. Okay. And then so uh, of the 300, uh, so millions of, of visits a month, and then the 300 blog posts, I mean, break it down a little bit how what kind of blog posts are you guys producing you know people are like oh you got to do long form content all the time what are you guys doing
0: right yeah i mean one of our big uh, focuses overall this year is to reduce the amount of content that we're producing um and and focus and get a bit more like laser focused if you if you look at, at hubspot a lot of the early growth in hubspot came from us basically building out inbound marketing as a as a as a concept and building a business through it we we built out the top of the funnel played the traffic game got great conversion rates into general email leads and built out a pretty solid sales org that were able to close those those leads as well and what we're finding now is we've we've moved to this model since January of going freemium and that has changed everything now from where we would go top of the funnel content bring in a ton of traffic the next step basically qualify someone and get them into our funnel and then close them into MRR we've now added an extra layer in there that they can drop off and the unit economics of that do not work out as well so what we've tried to do is and to to answer your point more directly is Start thinking about content on a few more layers. Traditionally, we would look at it basically on a vertical of each product and persona that we were going after. So we have a marketing blog, we have a sales blog that focuses more on sales content, we have our agency blog that's geared way more towards our our giant partner network of agencies, uh, how they can grow their businesses. Um, And when we launch new products in the future, we would have new product-driven blogs, right? And the the area of focus for us now is we're actually in a a huge project of reworking the entire architecture of our site from a content point of view but our shift is to own topics and wherever the the area of conversation is uh, that that any of our potential customers and our customers are talking about we want to be going and having broad content that maybe is this form of like longer form, all encompassing content, and then using our blog to get granular on basically answering one core question per blog post. Not necessarily going super deep, but just playing, um, playing out a strategy that focuses on answering all the questions surrounding every single topic that's relevant to our business. And that's where more of our focus is, is just going a bit more down the lines of um, almost like a jobs to be done framework, but for top of the funnel content versus just like the wider awareness plays with our blog content in particular.
1: Mm, Okay. And then so, you know, of the 300 blog posts, I'm assuming that, you know, there's a good percentage of those that are, you know, outside writers and then, you know, percentage that are internal. Do you have like a rough breakdown? Yeah, I mean, we have
0: some external writers, but um, not, not a whole lot. Like, we take on guest posts, but we're pretty strict. I'd say it's as difficult to get a guest post on the HubSpot blog as it is to get on, say, like, Inc. Entrepreneur and Business Insider and co. Um, Like, the the main breakdown, I would probably say, is at least 90% of the content is all done in-house by our content team. Like the content team is the heart of our marketing team and has been for a long time. Um, There's a lot of resources that get pushed into that. We have dedicated videographers. We have the podcast um, team. We have um, a whole like plethora of hyper talented individuals that are content writers and producers, designers, developers that all focus on like building a content experience within our ecosystem And then we have our, um, what we kind of like is more like a brand and buzz type team that's focused on building content outside of our ecosystem within Facebook, within even places like Snapchat and Instagram, that's kind of more like brand level recruiting plays. But we've, we've also done a lot with medium as well. And we're investing a lot more in general offsite content this year in particular.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, there's I've seen some stuff around, you know, why you should be reposting to Medium. I think that's one of your tactics in the the super epic post that you wrote about customer acquisition. So, yeah, what are your <laughs> thoughts about I mean, you know, just, uh, reposting in general to like a Medium or LinkedIn, for example? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of uh
0: of reposting content to LinkedIn, um sorry, uh to Medium in particular as uh, as a traffic acquisition play. One one of the nice things, and then there's the other piece, which I'll come on to in a second around medium. But uh, one of the reasons why I really like the play of where you can import an existing blog post that you've published from your own website into medium um, and republish it there is what they actually do is they they add a canonical tag automatically into your medium blog post that points back to your original blog post on your website. In a nutshell, what that means is um, any backlinks that that Medium blog post get, all of the authority pushes through to your original blog post. Mm-hmm. The Medium blog post version will not be submitted to, for ranking in the search engine, so it, it won't, you won't have any issues with like, duplicate content. Um, and, and in all honesty, like the power of Medium is not organic search. In general, Medium content doesn't rank very well. The power is the internal referral engine, uh, where if you get traction within Medium, then um, you get a bunch of like recommendations, just in the same way as like, Facebook's algorithm works. You can like, tap into a ton more traffic. And really, there's no disadvantage at all, right? Um, so that's one piece. And then the other piece for us that we like more on HubSpot is kind of catering towards a a very different audience without diluting content within our own um, kind of within our own product funnel, if you like. So we have um, a more growth driven uh, focused content that's a bit more leadership level. A lot of execs will read it and is just completely away from our typical buyer persona that tend to hang out more on Medium, and we've built native content and have a whole blog within there uh, that's that's focused on just like more leadership and bigger picture thinking uh, type posts. Right.
1: Okay. And the the Medium thing, I, I mean, is there any way for you to to automate that? Maybe using like a if this then that recipe or a Zapier recipe. Um, I'm actually not sure.
0: Uh, it's so. With Medium, they have um, a really simple system, in, in all fairness, for doing it where basically you can just add a URL via their import post feature and it will import all of the content. You just got to like reformat it. Mm. If there is a Zapier or IFTTT plugin, I'd probably advise against doing it just because You won't get a chance to reformat everything. And it's sometimes a little kinks, especially if you use like WordPress, for example, and you have shortcodes, they'll get pulled in. So you just have to delete them up. Kind of like any offsite content strategy, like if you're sharing or creating content natively into Quora or into Reddit, like I would recommend spending the time to really think about how you can add more value to people in that specific community maybe having someone just re-edit the piece and position in it slightly differently um just so it works a bit better within medium uh and a another platform uh, i'm actually less of a fan Just to cover on one of your other points of doing this same play in LinkedIn, Uh, LinkedIn, I would only do this if I didn't care about organic search traffic to my original post because LinkedIn do not enable you to add a canonical tag. So a lot of the time what you can find is that your LinkedIn post will way outrank your original blog post. Um, And in some cases, your original blog post can just be removed from the search engines. Your LinkedIn one will um, rank on its own. And for me, like if that's your play and you want traffic primarily into LinkedIn, great. that, That doesn't matter. If your play is to drive organic search traffic into your blog, I would recommend against doing that.
1: Makes sense. Okay. Well, you know, I actually want to touch upon some of your. There's a lot of crazy blog posts that you've written that are really good, and I, I highly recommend everyone checking it out. We'll drop in the show notes. I think it's just your name, right? MatthewBarbie.com. Yeah, that's great. It. So a little earlier, you alluded to uh, you know writing for like a you know HubSpot is uh, you know same difficulty as getting into Ink Magazine, for example, right? So mm. you have a post on how to write for top publications. How do you do it? Yeah.
0: So this is um, this has been. Something that for a long time, um, a skill that I found to be pretty crucial to being able to do well within organic search is be able to actually line up opportunities and write for a bunch of different publications. And I think there's layers to this. Now, without getting too granular here into some of the tactics, one of the things that people get most uh, wrong when they're going after, okay, I want to get let's let's take it from an SEO perspective um, versus just a simple PR like uh, route here where you're just focused on I want to get links and traffic from some of the biggest websites in the world. right? And a lot of people will go, okay, what are like our biggest sites that we want to go after? And they'll bucket things like New York Times and uh, The Guardian and uh, Wall Street Journal in the same buckets as like Entrepreneur Inc. and all of these others, when actually there's completely different ways to go about getting into each of these different tiers. So you've got like trade publications, which I would band as the likes of Entrepreneur, HuffPo. Inc, Forbes, Business Insider, etc, etc. You've got your local press, which uh, could be like the LA Times, right? And like all these like local press outlets. And then you've got your national and international press, New York Times, like Wall Street Journal, etc. And for every single one of these, you're going to need whole different plays. And the expectation of what you can actually publish in each of these is very different. Trade Publications, there is a viable chance of you actually doing a full on guest post. And in that case, um, this is all about having a really strong pitch. Um, a lot of people, I, I read all the time, like, go find all the editors on Twitter and tweet them. And so, like, that rarely actually works very well everything revolves around you having a pitch that resonates really strongly with what's already been published on sites like Fast Company and Forbes. Like one example recently, um, I'd never written for Fast Company. And I was like, yeah, I'd quite like to do like a, a post on Fast Company. Like the the thing that Fast Company and a lot of those sites care about is they they care to an extent how reputable you are. But if you've ever looked on like entrepreneur and Forbes and places like that there's tons of people on there that you you're like these people are not even close to being leaders in their field how are they getting published and I'm not right like the, the strength is in the relevance of the pitch and being able to at least confirm that you are a reputable person to speak about this specific pitch the first thing I tend to do is and that my advice on this level is do not try and reinvent the wheel like these publications write about the same kinds of things in the same style for a reason it's because it It works, right? And when people go and pitch these publications, a lot of the time what they think is, okay, I'm going to do something that is radically different. It's going to stand out. Those publications don't like that. That isn't safe. That isn't the impressions game that they want. Like they want something that is proven towards their formula. So. The first thing I do is I'll go, right, what what can I actually hold some level of authority talking about and what similar stuff have they written before? And I'll pitch something that has a a, a relatively interesting angle from a story point of view, but falls into line with everything that they always do. Like that is the way to pitch people and follow the normal pitch process. Go through the submission guidelines that they actually outline, because more often than not you'll either get ignored going directly to a, an editor, especially if it's your first time, or they'll just say, go to our usual guidelines. Right. Then on, like... The- yeah, exactly. So like, and, and that's where people fall down. They're like, oh, I found all these like I had this great pitch. I found the journalist like these journalists receive like 300 emails a day in pitches. They're not going to pick out your pitch directly. It gets through a specific process. We have that here at HubSpot. Like if people come and pitch me with an idea, I'm like, look, like I rarely even bother to respond now. It's just that
1: there's there are guidelines on how to submit for a reason. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's all about making their lives easier right at the end of the day. Cause they get, like you said, a, a ton of these. And so, I mean, there's a lot of posts out there on like, Oh, who you should be reaching out to. Oh, here's the outreach list. But I think Matt hit it on the head. It's just about, you know, it's about keeping things brief and then making it easy for them to, to help you out at the end of the day. Right. So you help them help you. Um, so that's good. And then you, I think you also had something about getting on the front of Buzzfeed twice. I mean, is, was there anything yeah. different that you did there? Yeah, that was that was that was good fun. So um
0: I, I I'm always I always enjoy just like testing different things out and seeing what comes of um kind of like bedding in and tapping into pools of users within like micro communities and BuzzFeed is a great example of that. And just to test something out, actually, my wife runs a food blog and I was like, okay, look, let's just see if we can um have a little look at how a lot of the community posts that perform well actually work out. And if we can create a formula for success of just being able to hit BuzzFeed's front page every time and generally just see what happens. So the first thing I did there was actually um, did a huge crawl of the entire BuzzFeed site, uh, or at least a large portion of it. And then I took a sample of, I think, close to 120,000 uh, URLs of that were broken down almost 50-50 between community posts and posts that were written by BuzzFeed editorial staff. Uh, I then scraped every single one of those pieces of content to pull in the content of the page, their headline, any images, uh, and a bunch of other different factors and just ran some like super dirty analysis in like pivot tables in Excel to find some common threads that kept coming up. Like what were the types of topics that were always hitting the front page? What was the language that they were used? What were the typical content length and the types of format that were happening? Who were the best authors and what were they doing right? And put together like a framework for a very basic template for a post and uh, also figured out kind of like what other external factors were really contributing to their their early success? And one thing that I did find was having a large volume of social shares to a blog post in the early days seemed to be the trigger for community posts that were going into the community, um, actually getting triggered up and put into the category feeds. When you get to a category feed, that performs really well. They'll take you into um, the buzzfeed like main topic uh like feed and then if it performs well there they upgrade it into the home page and so what i did is i built out an initial post that followed all these guidelines it was like something related to food in particular and put a bunch of paid spend behind the first hour of it going live got around like a hundred different social shares immediately got the trigger to go into the community featured section after that um paid for some people just on like i think it was like mechanical Turk to do some triggers on some comments on the post because I found when you're going to the community section, comments were one of the big triggers that got pushed into the main category page. And then BuzzFeed's engine takes over from there. Went to the homepage, generated over 100,000 visitors to the blog in like three days. Wow. It was absolutely insane. And then I did it three weeks later with the exact same playbook and it and it got to the front page exactly the same again.
1: Jeez. Okay. Well, I mean, there's a lot more, a lot of these stuff that we're talking about, they are broken out into really long form blog posts, uh, on Matt's blog. I mean, I'm just trying to get them distilled out a little bit so you can at least know what's going <laughs> on. Um, and we have to work towards wrapping up, but there's a couple more things that I want to talk about. Um, sure. you did a case study for one of my friends that was also on this podcast his Name? his name's Ian Blair, uh, from Buildfire. Mm. So I think it's the zero to 1 million in SEO campaign blueprint. Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Ian's is yeah. a great guy.
0: Um, yeah. can you speak like, to that? But- yeah, back a few years ago now, this would have been maybe three or four years ago, um, I started working with Ian when they'd just started up Buildfire. I think they'd just had a funding round and uh Ian reached out to me. He's like, Hey Matt, look, we need to we need to scale this up. We've just got our domain name up and running. We've got like a rough website. And uh yeah, we were very much focused on okay. We need to land some big links uh, to build the authority of this site. It was already getting to be that app builder space was already starting to see a bunch of big players come into it. Um, And also like build out some kind of like inbound funnel because um, ultimately they need to get some free users into the platform as well. And. One of the big plays there was actually a lot to do with getting into some of these big publications. Um, I seem to remember off the top of my head, uh, one of the first wins we had was getting a big feature in BusinessNewsDaily.com, um, which back at the time I remember not really knowing much about, and I was like, uh, this is kind of like just uh, another blog. We'll probably get a few hundred visits from that in a month, and we got like 20,000 visitors um, a month from that blog post for, and I'm sure it will still be generating traffic there. And it was like more review type content. Um, But that became one of the biggest lead drivers in the early days. And then we started basically piggybacking off the early success, driving out and basically using land and expand right on, on a bunch of these uh, tactics to just start scaling up authority build the content um in the space super early on before there was a huge amount of search demand for stuff um i mean i remember us ranking number one for app promotion for a a ton of time and organic was was the big thing for us there and yeah that scaled up amazing that was a super fun project to work on to be honest and and those guys are still killing it right now which is great
1: they are yeah so was it zero to one million uh visits over a year yeah it was actually about nine months i think wow okay and that's a million total right yeah. Cool. Yeah. So everyone should, you should check that out well, one out. I think i read that post like twice. Um there's a lot of gold <laughs> in there. I mean, you know, coming from an SEO background, like still it's it's good to review sometimes. Um and that leads me to my next point. I mean, you know, around that one, uh link acquisition, you know, building a domain authority up. Uh what's your approach to link building? You know, what are your thoughts around exact match anchor text in today's world? Yeah. Yeah, there's like
0: we could talk for hours about link building in general. Um, The one thing that I can tell you for without a shadow of doubt in my mind and anyone that's doing SEO um, like really and has spent time doing this knows that this is the case, but there is a whole lot of uh, different opinions and people chime in around this like the the most important thing for ranking in, in terms of SEO is backlinks and that is, Always been the case, and for at least the next like year or so, I can't see that changing in any way, shape, or form. And on top of that, the other huge, enormous factor in all of this is anchor text. Regardless of what Google says, regardless of what I don't know, like any of the big uh, SEO blogs, I won't name and shame, but like the, the the published content out there that say this isn't the case, like. I will tell you from my own experience that the number one thing that moves the needle is having exact match anchor text. Now, just a caveat that I am not advocating just going and getting a ton of like exact match anchor text things. I'm just purely stating facts of what moves the needle quickest. Um, but like the, the key to SEO, in, in my opinion, to kind of take a bit of a step back and the key to link building in particular is to stop just focusing on tactics, right like the the thing with seo is there's this huge perception that seo changes so rapidly and people get very daunted at the idea of first getting into seo because they're like ah matt like i think seo just changes every week seo does not change every week seo doesn't change as much as people think what changes is the fact that tactics come out that help people like build links right let's use guest posting for example when that first hit the scene in like 2010 2011 and everybody was like this is the next big thing and the seo has changed seo hadn't changed right people have been doing that for years since google first started up it's just people figured out how to scale it and then people scaled it and with scale everything then starts suffering fatigue and the effectiveness of that dropped down and then we moved to the next thing and it was like infographics infographics are now the thing to grow links right and it's like every single thing my advice to anyone in seo whether you're focused on link building or not is to understand why these things work you will never think up a a new link building tactic or and this applies to everything in acquisition and marketing to be honest is you need to understand the root cause of like why this works versus just like the what happens Um, And and to do that with link building, it's understanding the fundamentals of things like link architecture and how Google search algorithm works, even from like its early days. You understand those kind of things. You can then understand problems versus just reacting to tactics and come up with your own tactics that actually won't expire in like a few months time.
1: Great. Awesome. And speaking of tactics, uh, you have this one blog post that uh, there's one tactic I want to call. Oh, wow. What is content flipping?
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people um, ask, ask me a lot about content flipping. And like, this is another thing, right, to, to highlight. This is a tactic. Tactics work in some situations. Tactics aren't as effective in other situations. But the idea behind content flipping, right, is one really challenging thing within organic search is a lot of the content that you really want to rank on a website is... It requires a lot of backlinks to be able to rank. Let's use product pages as an example. In in fact, let's use the example of CRM, right? Because that's what we go after here on HubSpot. And trying to rank for terms related to CRM, they're like some of the most aggressively competitive keywords uh, available on Google. Just look at the CPCs on paid and you'll see that. And you need a ton of links. Now, (laughs) The kind of content that you want to rank as your product pages, they're not ever the most linkable pieces of content. People aren't just going to be like, oh, wow, this is a really cool piece of content. I'm going to go backlink to this. Uh, It's not like your top of the funnel content that gets all of the links. So getting those links is exponentially tougher. And what content flipping does is you create top of the funnel content that is much more linkable. And flip that content, whether that be via a canonical or a 301 redirect, into content that's a lot more difficult to get links to. Pushing a large portion of all of that authority into the, the product page, for example. Um, the key is main sh- maintaining relevancy between those two pieces of content. Um, and from, from at least a lot of the testing and things I've done over the past few years, that tactic works pretty well, uh, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I mean, full transparency here. We have this one post that ranks well for, uh, internet marketing companies or best internet marketing company or online marketing companies, like top five. And, mm. you know, it drives a good amount of traffic, but we're, we're literally debating, like, should we be content flipping it right now? So that, that's an interesting thing we're talking <laughs> about uh, internally. But anyway, um, just two more questions from my side, uh, cause I know you have to go soon. So what's one must read book that you'd recommend to everyone? Mm, that's a, that's a good question. Um,
0: I've been reading a bunch of very different books over the the past kind of like few months. I think mean, there's there's I would say I'll give two different books, sure. um, because they're focused on two different types of uh, needs. One that I've really really enjoyed and has personally helped me figure out a bunch of problems recently has been in uh, the hard thing about hard things uh, by Ben Horowitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, really great book on figuring out incredibly tough management decisions and how to be able to help nurture and grow like highly motivated and talented people within organizations and also how to deal with when the shit hits the fan. Um, and then on the, the second side of the, the other side of things, which is a bit more like inspirational and a bit more tactical, um, it would probably be rise of the robots, uh, focuses all on the, uh, the, the rise of artificial intelligence, has some really interesting pieces on how people are disrupting in a bunch of different verticals from like ed tech health um 3d printing and a bunch of other areas and the impact that that has on jobs in the future so yeah i love those those two books at the moment
1: god there's so much more we can be talking about i might need to bring you on for part two some other time uh there's so much we haven't touched on uh but how do you how do you stay on top of marketing i mean it's just like the stuff that you're putting out it's clearly written by you like you're on top of it so what are you doing yeah, I think um quite honestly, uh
0: hiring super talented people, right? I, I think the 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 sooner you, you realize that you, you can't be um a, a complete specialist at every single thing, or at least to a, a, an incredibly granular level, uh, the the quicker you start to learn and expand. My my biggest focus has just been around learning from the people, whether it's directly on my team or across other teams. Um, our HubSpot Slack channel is like one of my. Go-to sources of just at-a-glance information, and then the second piece, which I'd probably say has been the the thing throughout my career that's helped the single most individual thing that I've done that's helped grow my knowledge, uh, has been every single week I book at least one meeting with someone that I've never spoken to before or that's at a different company doing either a similar or tangentially related. Um, Kind of like role or problem that they're solving and just have either like a 30 minute coffee uh, in person meeting or a zoom chat with them and just ask them about the problems and how they deal with things. And I learn more from those than probably anything, any other one single thing that I do
1: boom all right well i guarantee you this has got to be one of the top five if anybody listens to this uh top five marketing well, tactical podcasts and for sure um guaranteed so anyway uh matt what's the best way for people to find you online uh yeah
0: i mean you can you can reach out to me in a number of ways um you there's obviously my blog at matthewbarbie.com. uh feel free to always ping me on linkedin on twitter at Matthew Barbie. um also my facebook page as well um any of those, feel free to reach out at at any time. I'm not always the quickest to respond to email. So your best bet is via social. Great,
1: Matt. Thanks so much for doing this.
0: No, it's been great,
1: Eric.